Amen. How are we doing, church? Anybody else so messed up from worship time that you're like wondering how you're going to preach right now? Well, that's me. Um, man, praise God. It's uh, really fun to be together. Uh, for those of you that I don't know yet, my name's Chris Pletcher. I'm on staff here at Antioch. I'm our family's pastor. And uh, man, if you didn't know, we have some of the most incredible families in the entire city that are here, a part of our church family. I mean, it is, it is unbelievable, the richness and the depth of um, the, the married couples and the families and people that really, uh, that live here uh, all the time, you know, not just nine months out of a year, like this is their home, you know, and uh, I just want to honor the families. I know it was a rough uh, holiday season for a lot of us, the great uh, flu epidemic of 2017, like wiped out 90% of our families. It's been crazy. Pray for our city. It's, I mean, if you talk to Folks in our church that are involved in hospitals, and I mean, they're, they're out of room. It's like jam-packed. It's been a unique, a uniquely, uh, a unique season of opposition, sickness in our city, and gets our families. So, just want to honor our families, and even just honor our kids' workers. We have so many. Any guys ever worked in the Kingdom Kids back there? We have so many amazing volunteers that really make this church um, function as a family. And if you're a part of this church and wondering, hey, how can I get in, get plugged in and serve and you haven't found a place yet, there is a Kingdom Kids training next Sunday at 1245. They'll feed you some free pizza. And I promise those little kids will bless you more than you serve them. And it'll be a great partnership. So if you're looking for a place to get plugged in next Sunday, um, that, that's your place. So uh, like I said, my name's Chris. Uh, I'm going to kind of breeze through the intro here just because of... Uh, time's sake this morning, really getting to the meat of what I feel like the Lord has for us today. Um, but I grew up in Houston, Texas. I have any other Houstonians here? Come on. All right. So, um, you know, we could probably go around Dallas, right? We got some Dallas folks in the house, Austin. Okay. What if you didn't grow up? What if you grew up outside of the state of Texas? Out of staters. Okay. What about internationally? Not even the states. You, all right. Hey, every tribe, tongue, and nation. Here we go. Every tribe, tongue, and nation right here, Antioch Community Church. Um, so depending on kind of where you grew up and what your family was like, you grew up with a set of kind of uh, cultural values and norms, right? Uh, it's kind of where you get your, your sort of the foundation is poured in your life. Your initial worldview is you really get it from your family and from your geographical location. So I grew up in Houston in this really wealthy neighborhood with mostly white kids driving these super fancy cars. They just thought they were the center of the universe. And so I kind of grew up thinking that I was the center of the universe, you know, and, and all these cultural values and, uh, and norms became a part of my upbringing. And if you've ever seen a brand new house built, you know, they go in and they, they clear the dirt and they dig holes in the ground for the foundation and they put, you know, the, the steel in there, build a frame, and then the, the dump trucks come in and they pour concrete, and they fill this place, and it becomes, after it sets, it becomes this foundation. And it's, it, it is a solid, almost immovable foundation on which the rest of the house is then built up on. And every single one of us, based on our family and where we grew up, had a, I'm going to call it like a values foundation that was poured in your heart at a very early age, Right? You grew up thinking a certain way about the world and thinking a certain way about God and, and your beliefs shaped your behaviors and shaped the way you 
spent your time, the way you had relationships with people, the way you spent money, all those things. Are you with me? We all grew up kind of with these cultural mindsets, a unique ecosystem of values and beliefs. And somewhere along the way, for most of us, if I'm guessing if you're here this morning at a Christian church, somewhere along the way, something radical happened in your life, and you met Jesus. You met Jesus. And the Bible says that when we meet Jesus and we put our trust in him, that we become born again, check this out, as citizens of another kingdom, of a heavenly kingdom. Colossians 1.13 says that he's actually delivered us from a realm of darkness, and he has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. In Philippians 3.20, we see now our citizenship is actually in heaven, no longer on this earth. So depending on your family, depending what your values foundation was like, life becomes a major journey of relearning everything. And for a lot of us, myself included, um, the foundation that was poured in my heart kind of needed to be smashed into like a million pieces and be re-poured. And let me tell you, that takes some work and some time. Because the, the kingdom culture, this other citizenship in heaven culture, it is so beautifully different than most of what we have known and grown up with. It is so radically and beautifully different, this heavenly culture. In this heavenly culture, love and grace prevail. Righteousness and justice reign. And everyone is honored. But most importantly, in this kingdom, heavenly culture, the king is exalted above everything else. You see, the king sets the culture of the kingdom. Every beautiful value of heaven is just a reflection of the king's heart. It's just an echo of the king's heart. And so as we jump into this semester, we're going to kick it off by taking a few weeks to really explore the culture of the kingdom of heaven. We're we're starting a new series this morning called Kingdom Culture. It's very simple. We want to know, we're citizens of heaven through Jesus. What's it like there? And how can we get it here? Because that is the calling of our lives as citizens of heaven. But we cannot talk about the kingdom culture without first talking about the king. Is anybody here like tired of, of like the earth's culture? Anybody else like ready for more of heaven on the earth? Are you with me? So we're going we're gonna to go on a journey here as a church in the next several weeks, and it's going to be powerful. I believe it's going to mark us and change the way that we operate. I believe we're in for a new norm here at Antioch, and we're going to see the kingdom working among us like never before. But we have to start by just looking at the king. Who wants a fresh glimpse of King Jesus? Who could like say, it's 2018, it's a new year. God, open my eyes. I just need a fresh encounter with the king. Are you hungry for it? Do you know that your hunger level oftentimes will determine your experience? And so is anybody hungry for fresh encounters with King Jesus in 2018? Okay. Let's pray for that to happen, because only God can do that. Let's pray for our hearts, and then we're going to dive into the Word of God. Jesus, we want to see you more. 
We want to know you more. Jesus, would you enlighten the eyes of our hearts? Would you open the eyes of our hearts to see you like never before? I pray you would breathe on the word of God this morning, that every scripture we look at would jump off the page like never before and pierce our hearts with the beauty and majesty of the King of heaven. God, would you come and do it in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. I want you to flip to Hebrews chapter 1 this morning. And I said flip because the Bible is a book, not an app on your phone, okay? And hey, the app is great. It's really convenient. But you can't put your, look, watch me real quick. You can't put your finger in one part of the app and then have another finger in the other part of the app, right? You can't do this. You see how that works? It's so much easier than like having to type in the stuff. So if you got your phone, Jason, register, that's okay, all right? But, but I want to encourage you to, to get a real Bible, all right? We have some in the office. Come see me. I would love to give you one, okay? That's just a little soapbox I have I thought I'd invite y'all into this morning. Come on, as we read Hebrews chapter one, or you can just look on the screen and avoid my judgment altogether, you know. <laughs> Hebrews chapter one, verse one, long ago, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke. Say it with me, church. God spoke. Is anybody thankful that God has been speaking, that he has not been silent? God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. God has been speaking. And in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And we are going to take a long look at his son, King Jesus, this morning. But I actually want us to start by looking at one of these prophets because he didn't just start revealing Jesus when Jesus walked on the earth. He had been revealing Jesus at many times and in many ways for many years before he ever walked on the earth. So we're going to flip in your book to Isaiah chapter 9, or you can look on the screen. We're going to look at a few verses here. And on the heels of Christmas, I think this will feel pretty fresh to us um, because of the Christmas season. This is kind of one of those famous Christmas passages. But I want us to look at how God was speaking about King Jesus 800 years before he ever walked on the earth. It says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Guys, before Jesus even stepped foot on the planet as Savior, 800 years before this long-expected King, it, we've been, been, been told about him. God has been revealing him. He's been saying, this one is coming, the great one you've been longing for. He will shine in every place of darkness. 
This king will come and he will uphold society with perfect government. This king will come and he will comfort every heart and every place of pain as the wonderful counselor. He will break every chain of bondage as the almighty God. He will welcome every orphan and every fatherless child as the everlasting father. He will destroy anxiety and fear as the prince of peace. And when he comes again, he will establish perfect righteousness and justice throughout the entire earth. This is King Jesus. He's everything that we were created for, and he's everything that we long for. And the Spirit of God, through the prophet Isaiah, 800 years before Jesus would walk on the earth, was telling us what he was like. And then Jesus came and proved that was all true. Right? Because when Jesus got his feet dirty and walked on the earth, Darkness lit up, actually, and people were set free from sin. When Jesus walked on the earth, corrupt governments and religious systems were dismantled, right? Not by force, but through faith. When Jesus walked on the earth, the hurting and the sick were healed every time they came to him. Anybody in here ever been healed or been comforted by King Jesus? This isn't just a story of the Bible. This, this is our story. When Jesus walked on the earth, people living in spiritual oppression, anybody ever been there, were set free from bondage. When Jesus walked on the earth, the fatherless felt the embrace of Abba Daddy like never before. He came to manifest the heart of a father like never before. When Jesus walked the earth, those that were trapped in fear and anxiety, they were filled with peace in his presence. And when he walks the earth again, when he returns, perfect righteousness and justice will be established as it will cover the planet as waters cover the sea. This is King Jesus. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God. We're back in Hebrews chapter one. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Jesus, if, you need, if you're taking notes and you need a title for the message today, it's Jesus. <laughs> if you want to get really, you know, uh, artistic, it's the worthiness of Jesus. It's Jesus. He is the only one that co-created the world with God. We see in John chapter 1 that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and everything and all creation was made through Him, and without Him, nothing was made that has been made, and He was life, and His life was the light of man, the light shining in the darkness, the only one that created the world and spoke light into it, the only one who shines with the perfect radiance, the full glory of God. You know what's convicting about this? We were actually created to shine with the full radiance of God too. 
But right, Romans chapter 3, all have sinned and fall short. We fall short of radiating with the glory of God that he created us to carry. But Jesus is the only one, the full radiance. He is the only one who's the exact imprint of the Father's nature. He is the only one that upholds the universe by the words of his mouth. He's the only one who ever lived a completely whole and healthy life, which qualified him to be the only one who could offer his life as a perfect sacrifice for mankind. The only one who could purify us from sin. For he made him who knew no sin to become sin on my behalf so that in him I could become the righteousness of God. I could be restored to carry the radiance of God that I was created to carry. Only Jesus. Only Jesus could do that. He's the only one seated at the right hand of God, constantly crying out for you. He's the only one with the name above all names. Jesus. There is no other name in all of history that is more highly exalted, more highly known, more familiar, more called upon than Jesus. There's no one like him. Isn't he worthy to be our king? If you feel like you just got fire hosed, that was on purpose. Isn't he worthy to be our king? Isn't he worthy of our worship? If all of these things, I mean, I just read like three small passages of this thing. If all that's true, isn't he worthy of our worship? The word worship simply means to bow down or to lift up. Now, in the Old Testament, there's actually seven different Hebrew words for praise. Kaylin Taylor does an amazing teaching on this, our worship pastor. But for the sake of simplicity this morning, you really can kind of bring it in together with these two ideas, worship of bowing down and lifting up. You see, we, when we discover something of great value and worth, we, we either bow down before it or we elevate it above everything else. See, worship is just an expression of worth. And society reveals that we are actually hardwired to bow down before something or someone. We lift up and exalt whatever we value above everything else. We exalt it. Humans worship. It's, it's like breathing. Every single human being on the planet is worshiping something. We all magnify something. We all exalt whatever we hold to be of highest value. Whatever we believe will bring us the most happiness, the most security, the most fulfillment. The question is, what are we worshiping? And who is worthy of our worship? Who is worthy of our full trust? 7.6 billion people on the planet are asking this question, longing for a perfect king like Jesus and wondering if anyone's going to come to the rescue. 
7.6 billion people in the planet engaged in hundreds of different world religions, all searching for heaven. But guess what? Heaven has come, and his name is Jesus, and he is God, and we are not, and he is worthy of our worship. And this is beyond intellectual. This is beyond theological. My soul knows his worth because he didn't just come to the world. He came near to me. I've experienced his mercy, his freedom, his faithfulness, his kindness, his power. And I bet you have too. I want, I want everyone in here to close your eyes for a second. I want you to close your eyes, pull into just like a little personal moment, and I want to ask you a couple questions. Does your soul know his worth? Do you know his worth? I want you to think about your personal history with God right now. I want you to think about when you encountered his mercy and forgiveness for the first time. I want you to think about his faithfulness over your history, where he showed up, the prayers that he answered. I want you to think about when you encountered his power, when you encountered his kindness. Does your soul know his worth? All right, church, open your eyes. Isn't he good? Isn't he love? Isn't he worthy? The question becomes for us, is he receiving from us the worship that he deserves? the, The Bible is beyond clear at his worth. The question becomes, is he receiving from us the worship that he deserves? And there are a few questions for us that will help us find out to answer that question. Number one, am I fully trusting him to meet my needs? Because whatever we trust, we worship. Am I fully trusting him to meet my needs? Am I fully trusting him to bring me joy? Psalm 16 says, in his presence is fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Is he my great pleasure? Am I trusting him to give me security? Am I fully trusting him to fulfill my deep need for purpose significance? Does he define my significance? Or am I looking for it somewhere else? See, how we answer these questions is a great indicator of what we value and what we trust the most. Are you still with me? How we answer these questions shows us what we value and trust the most, which reveals to us where our worship is going. We will place worth and give our affection to something or someone. Usually the people or things that we think 
are going to give us the most security and happiness. But unfortunately, if the answer to those questions is not Jesus, then we elevate something other than him to become the, the functional God of our life. And so I want to submit three, three thoughts to you today about worship as we kind of move towards wrapping up here in a second. The first thing is this. We naturally praise what we truly treasure. We naturally praise what we truly treasure. And I know God is convicting all of us, including me. I know that God is doing something here in our hearts today, even as we worship together. And so I'm not trying to sidetrack us with a silly example here, but we naturally praise what we truly treasure. We all know people that just like love their sports team, right? Okay, maybe it's the Cowboys. Don't hoot and holler right now. Don't, you know, ruin this moment. No. <laughs> maybe it's the Ags, you know, whatever. But we naturally praise what we truly value, okay? So people that just love their team, it overflows from them. It overflows from them, right? Even in the off-season, they're talking about the draft or recruiting or whatever, you know. At any time the team's playing, they make time for it, right? They're there Saturday or Sunday. It doesn't matter. They're there. I was at a wedding a couple months ago where they're literally streaming the Astros World Series game at the reception. All these people gather on the table like, these people just got married, man, you know? And, like, we're streaming our baseball game. And I'm like, you know, we make time for what we treasure. And then when their team scores, they just erupt. It's like spontaneous Worship, you know, woo, you know, it's like we, you don't have to tell anybody, oh, hey, they're about to score, get ready, get ready to cheer, they're about to score, get ready to cheer, you know, when they score, we just overflow. We were made to overflow, and we will actually overflow with what's ever on the throne of our hearts. And so Jesus, it was very clear, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. From the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, or the mouth worships. So pay attention to what you praise, and it will show you what you treasure. If you hang around people often enough and you just listen to what they're so in love with, you will know what they worship. What overflows from them, you will know what their gods are. And it's interesting, what did Jesus treasure more than anything else? What did Jesus treasure more than anything else? The Father's glory. And his life overflowed with it. Isn't that amazing? So number one, we naturally praise what we truly treasure. Number two, Jesus is the greatest treasure of the universe. In just a brief survey of Scripture, he is the greatest treasure of the universe for two simple reasons, for who he is and for what he's done. And I think that this is why God gave us two hands to worship, honestly, to come into his presence with thanks and praise, okay? Because praise is about who he is, okay? Thank you, God. You're so faithful. There's no one like you. You're so patient with me. God, I praise you for who you are. Thankfulness is about what he's done. In Psalm 100, we see that we actually enter into his gates with thanks and with praise. I'm I'm 
It's not just silly. Next time you worship, if you're having a hard time connecting, going, oh, thanks and praise. Okay. And just start stirring up a remembrance of his worthiness by recounting who he is and by recounting what he's done. We come into his presence with thanks and praise. He is the greatest treasure of the universe. But in our, in our limited view of him right now, oftentimes we kind of have to stir up a remembrance of him. We kind of have to stir up a remembrance of his worthiness. So talk to yourself and remind yourself. Even in the moments where you don't feel like it. I love Habakkuk verse 3. Habakkuk verse 3 says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Sometimes you come in, and you can't see all of what God's doing, and so you just praise Him for who He is. And if you can't perceive, and there's no, you know, olive on the vine or whatever, you know, we just, you just worship him for who he is because he hasn't changed. He hasn't changed. He's a great treasure of the universe. And number three, if we lose sight of his worth and begin to trust in someone or something else, we create an idol. We have to be aware of our heart's tendency to lose focus on Jesus, and let something else come in. Are you with me? Yes, band, thank you. I was just about to invite you up. Are you with me? We have to be aware of our heart's tendency to drift away from Jesus, only Jesus, to other things. Hang with me here as we, as we land this deal. The goal of preaching today was not actually for, to like come with a rebuke for all of our idols, the goal of me preaching today was to elevate the worthiness of Jesus above everything else. The problem is that when we do that and we catch a fresh glimpse of Jesus and how much better he is than everything else, it's really convicting because it reveals where we've misplaced our trust. It reveals where we've allowed idols to come in. Guys, this is why Peter, you guys remember the story. G Peter's been out fishing all night long. They don't catch anything. Jesus says, well, why don't you cast it on the other side of the boat? And they pull in this haul of fish that almost sinks the boat. And what happens to Peter? He falls flat on his face. And he says, woe is me, a man of unclean lips, because he realized that he was in the presence of such great worth and power. And he fell on his face. That's why the three disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration, you remember the story, the glory of God shone in the heavens and God spoke and he said, this is my beloved son, please shut up and listen to what he has to say. And the three disciples fall on their face in the presence of their worthy king. This is why in the book of Revelation, the 24 elders, they throw their crowns at the feet of Jesus and they all fall on their face and they worship the resurrected king of heaven because they see him for who he is. He is worthy. He is worthy. And in every season of life, we have to ask ourselves, am I fully submitted to him or have I allowed idols to creep into the throne room of my heart? Is my affection going anywhere else? 
because it doesn't belong anywhere else. And I'll be vulnerable and even just publicly repent. In the last few weeks, God has been dealing with me because I have held back from him. And he's been revealing to me parts of my heart where my affection has just slowly drifted off of Jesus to something else. And actually, it took him flattening me with the flu for five days over winter break to humble my heart enough so I'd let go. I don't want to get in some theological thing about sickness or anything, okay? But I got sick and it did me good, all right? It humbled my heart so I would let go of some junk that was cluttering my affection for Jesus. Whenever God graciously and kindly, because it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Whenever he graciously shows you where your affection has drifted from Jesus, it's just because he loves you. And because he knows if anything else sits on the throne of your heart, it's gonna destroy you. It's gonna kill you. And it's gonna get your whole life out of sync with the created order. It's his kindness. And so the response is simple. We repent and we reject our idols and we receive a fresh grace of God. I want you to stand up this morning, church. The good news this morning is that God is literally The scripture says he is literally waiting on high to have compassion on us. The scriptures say in Isaiah 30, 18, that he longs to be gracious to you. He's actually waiting just patiently and graciously and longingly for us to repent and lay down our idols so that he can touch us and restore us with fresh grace. And when we put him back in his rightful place, uncontested on the throne of our hearts, we encounter his goodness and we encounter his glory in new ways and our hearts become more devoted to him than ever. More aligned every day as we live in the revelation of his worthiness. There's no one like him. Church, isn't he good? Isn't he love? Isn't he worthy? So our prayer team's gonna come up this morning, get a few of our life group leaders, prayer team leaders up here. And if you're new to Antioch and you're wondering what this is all about, it's just simply, we just create space to take a step. Oftentimes, a physical response will break something free in our spiritual, right? And so by stepping forward, we're saying, God, I'm acknowledging that like I need some prayer or I'm acknowledging that I just need a fresh touch of your love, or I'm acknowledging that the affection of my heart's drifted and I need to repent. And so the invitation is simple this morning, guys. We're just gonna worship Jesus. We're just gonna worship him because he's worthy. And if in the process you're noticing that something is restricting your affection for him, just lay it down. That's the kindness of God. When he like puts his finger in something and he's like, hey man, we need to deal with this right here. It's because he is a loving father and he wants your whole heart. 
So the invitation, we're gonna worship Jesus. It's what we were made for. We were created for his presence. And he's worthy of our worship. Pray with me, Lord, as we draw near to the Lord Jesus, we come to you and just ask that you'd meet us. We would see you high and lifted up and we would give you the worship you deserve our whole hearts. King Jesus, there's no one like you, God. We invite you. Minister to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.